Well, this morning, I'm so excited. We are in uh, technically week two of a series that we started last week, uh, Family Focus. And as I mentioned last week, uh, this really didn't start as a, a series. It started more as just a one sermon kind of message last week, um, but just kind of praying over it and kind of talking with some other uh, men in the church and kind of feeding off of them and getting some insight from them uh, kind of became a series that we're going to do. So for the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at this idea of family focus. And last week we started by talking about an overview of God's creative order for the family, that in the word of God, there is a creative order that God lays forth for the family. Now, this again is kind of all coming out of a message that Ben Lair shared uh, a couple weeks ago. And if you missed that, again, I highly recommend you go back on our website, northgoodland.org, or on our app, Northgoodland BC, in your app store, and find that message. Uh, Father's Day, he was with us, and Ben Lair is our missionary to Poland, and his wife, Sarah, they are here in the States. They're leaving in August, I believe, to head back to Poland to continue their church planning work there and uh, continue to pray for them. They are in their third church plan and very, very small, very much uh, just the beginning stages of that. But be praying for Ben and Sarah Lair as they're continuing to do that work there. But he shared some amazing things in the message that he brought to us on Father's Day. And one of the things he talked about was the idea of a young Christian couple planting a Christian family. And I shared last week, and if you weren't with us, go back and check that out too. But I shared last week how that really encouraged me to think about the Christian family not as just happening by chance, but that there was, it was planted, that there was purpose, there was design in the family unit. And he went on to kind of share, and we expounded on this last week, that the family unit is an institution that God ordained to display his glory and build his kingdom by drawing others into the body of Christ. That there are two institutions that God set forth in this world that people might come to know Christ and be known of Christ and grow in him and that he would receive the glory for that. That's the family unit and the local church. And those two institutions that God ordained and God set forth are designed and planted with purpose so that people in our communities, people in our area of influence might see your Christian home and see your individual life, of course, but as a reflection in your Christian home and then also in the local church, who Christ is and what the gospel really is. And so through those things, we started last week talking about just this general overview of the Christian family. We discovered last week, or maybe for some rediscovered, that marriage and family were designed by God with intent and purpose. The family, as God's design, is there to meet the deepest physical, spiritual, social, and even psychological needs of mankind. It is vital, the family unit. You see, a child learns his own self-concept from the home. They learn who they are. A child learns who they are, what they, he or she can do, what is expected of them. This is all learned in the home. They learn how much they are loved and valuable by seeing and receiving love from his or her parents. Truly, the family is a blessing to us. Isn't it amazing? Many of you have had children. You have grandchildren. Some of you are parents of real young kids. Isn't it amazing Right off the bat, as you're holding your newborn baby, when you're looking into their face, you can almost over a period of time begin to realize, and they begin to realize, that you love them 
that you care for them, that you're providing for them. And isn't it amazing that we do all of that with no expectation of something in return? A brand new newborn baby can do nothing for you as far as provide for you, return the favors you're giving them or the way you're providing for them. They are just receiving this love and they're receiving this love. And as a result, they're learning and understanding my parents love me. My mom loves me. My dad loves me. Now we understand, as I said a minute ago, this is all God's design. We know that God's design and what we see in the family unit today in our fallen world does not, will not completely mesh, right? We understand this. We have fallen into sin, Genesis chapter 3. Our world has fallen into sin because of Genesis chapter 3. Paul says that all of creation groans because of sin in our world. And so we understand that as I speak to these things, we're talking about God's ideal design and we're striving for that understanding we've all fallen short and we need grace, amen? We've all fallen short of his grace. We've all fallen short of perfection. I said this last week. There's no such thing as a perfect parent except for God the Father. We are not perfect parents. We're not perfect grandparents. There's no perfect kids in here. I hate to pop your bubble, mom and dad. I know you think, but my baby, you don't know about my baby. Let me tell you about my son. Let me tell you about my daughter, okay? Uh, they're, they're great. I'm sure they're wonderful. All your coworkers think they're wonderful. Even though you keep showing them more and more pictures, I'm sure they really do care. But at the end of the day, there's no such thing as a perfect husband, a perfect wife, a perfect child. So therefore, there's no such thing as a perfect family. But what we do have and can have are Christian parents, Christian families striving for what purpose? That God would be glorified, that Christ would be known, and that others would come to know Christ. See, again, last week's message kind of led to this series, and so I pray that you will receive what God has for you out of this message series. And if it's not obvious, it should be that in our world today, the family is under attack. But to be honest, it has been since Genesis 3. And to be honest, the family has been under attack by people in those families, including the first family, Adam and Eve. Because sin entered in. And the minute sin entered in, there was division and pride and contention and fighting distrust, all those things that sin will bring in. Now, that does not mean that in Christ we cannot overcome those things and strive to see different results in our family. I'm just giving us a fair warning at the beginning that do not go into this series thinking, okay, if I do everything that that this guy's saying, if I follow step one through five and I do all of this, then we're going to have a perfect family and everything's going to be great all the time. No issues. No, no, no. No, we still live in a fallen world. But what I do believe is if we follow God's biblical blueprints, that we will see more victories, more success in him, more understanding, more grace, more forgiveness, more Christ-likeness in our families. And that's really the goal. The goal is not to have a perfect family. The goal is to have a Christ-like family. And so again, we're going to lay some things out from God's word that I pray are a blessing to you. But in our day and age today, I, I do believe we've seen a heightened attack among, uh, against the family, among our communities, our leadership in our country. Some of it may be intentional. Some of it may be unintentional. The point is that we as Christian families need to guard our homes and get into the word 
And how do we guard our homes? Through prayer. We pray over our families. We pray for God's wisdom and protection. Again, the solution is not to start with a focus on the family. That is not the solution to a Christ-like family. But to start with a focus on our personal walk with Christ, which will help us keep our family in the right focus. So the solution is not to start with a focus on the family. The solution is the focus first, as we said last week, my personal walk. Am I in the word? Am I praying? Am I seeking him? Am I seeking his wisdom? And from that relationship with Christ, through Christ, through the gospel, only possible through the gospel, not by good works or going to church or any other thing. If you know Christ as your savior, you have a relationship with him. I love the passage that Paul says when he says you are known of him. He knows you. And you have that walk with him. So we, we just dive into the word and we spend time in prayer. And daily we're trying to grow an understanding of who Christ is and who I am in Christ and what Christ has for me. And then out of that relationship, I'll start to see my spouse in a different light. I'll see my children in a different light. I'll see my family and the purpose of my family and how I fit into that purpose in a different light. I'll understand how my family fits in the church and in the communities. And so again, we don't start with the focus on the family. We start with our walk with Christ that will give us the appropriate and right focus on our families. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a few things in the word for guidance. And some examples would be, we're going to talk about how families can learn to live in this culture effectively. How families can learn, Christian families can learn to function and live in this culture effectively. How we can learn as a family to function in the local church effectively for Christ. So we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we live effectively in the culture as a Christian family? And then our last week will be how do we live effectively as a family in the local church? This morning, we're going to be looking at how our families can learn to live together effectively for Christ. So how our families can learn to live together effectively for Christ. Now that might sound strange because you hear that and you think, well, obviously families live together because they're families in the same home. But I believe that many families are not living together. They are merely living in the same household. They are getting by, coexisting, and they're, but they're functioning in their own little world. I heard it said this way. A Christian comedian said he was raising boys, and as he was going into his home after work, he would always try to get from the front door to his room without making any eye contact. Because he said, if I could just get to my room, then everything will be fine. But he said, so often he'd be walking through, and someone's doing something, and I think his one son was getting ready to shove a fork into a light socket, and he kind of looked up, and he said, this is why I don't look up. This is why I keep my head down, and I just get to my room. If you don't make eye contact, you don't have to interact with them. And so a lot of people are living this way. They're functioning in their homes, just coexisting. And what do I mean by that? We're not really living together as a family. We're kind of all doing our own little thing. And I understand that we all have our own interests and hobbies and all that. And that's fine. But we need to live together, not coexist in Christ. So to ask is, is coexisting, just functioning, just getting by. Is that what God designed for the family? I don't believe so. And so what I want to do with our time this morning is I want to walk through, we're going to walk through in just a moment up on the screen, 
Uh, and again, I don't usually do PowerPoint, but I'm going to do it for this series. So um, I pray it's an encouragement to you. If you have a copy of God's Word, obviously I encourage you to take notes and write these down so you can study them later. If you go on our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store, uh, we have sermon notes available for today's message. You can just go into media, sermon notes, find today's date, and there, there is an outline there as well. If you want to follow along, you can. And all of these verses and all these main points are going to be on the notes as well. Again, just for your own personal study to continue to grow in this. And so I just want to walk through a few verses to kind of lay a foundation of, again, now one of these, at least one of these, we looked at last week. But I want to talk again about how do we have this right focus so that we live together as families? What do we need to intentionally design our day to look like? And so this is the thing. It takes intention. It takes foresight. We have to wake up in the morning and ask God, God, give me wisdom in this today. If you try to do this in your own strength, you will fail every time. But if you look to him and say, God, give me wisdom in this, he will begin to refine you and redeem you to the point of understanding that you can live in this way. So the first verse we want to look at, we talked about this last week. This is the foundational verse for marriage in scripture. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Again, does that sound like coexisting? Does that sound like just getting by, just kind of functioning in the same house, but not really living together? This sounds like unity. This sounds like oneness. This sounds like two individual personalities that are very different. And I'm not going to ask you to amen how different your spouse is. Some of you are like, mm, can I preach for a minute? Let me tell you some stories. Okay, we don't need that. I'm sure Brenda could come up and tell us all kinds of stories. But we're not going to do that to, to Vic. He's not even in the room right now. He's out in the lobby. But he's hearing this, and so that's why I'm saying this. <laughs> so I'm not talking about him behind his back. He's not there, but he's out there. He knows. We're good. But I understand that. We all have different personalities, likes, interests. Right? There's, there's conflict in marriage at times. So I understand you don't always feel like you're unified. But I promise you from the word of God that if you will strive to have this mindset that you are one with your spouse, that your spouse is not the enemy. Now, we need to say this just as a side note. I understand we live in a fallen world. And I understand not every marriage is like this. And I understand there are those in this room, those that are watching online, that have gone through horribly difficult situations. And we are not here to minimize that pain or to reduce that pain down or to say, just get over it or whatever. We're here to understand and empathize that everyone finds themselves in different situations. We're speaking to God's ideal. Okay? So if you're here and you're in a very difficult situation, a different situation, and you find yourself in one of those moments in life you never thought you'd be, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. Talk to me. Come talk to me or one of our staff members. We'd love to encourage you as best we can to help you in that, to transition through that or to understand what God's word says about that. But maybe you're also here and you're a young person here. You're not married, but you're a young person, a, a teenager or a young 20-something or maybe even a little older than that. You're just not, you're not, never been married. You're not married right now. Then let this be a blueprint as an encouragement that when you enter into a relationship with somebody, especially as you get older, there should always be this mindset. We're not just dating to date. Like you can build friendships and hang out and do all that. But the minute there's this idea of a connection and a bond emotionally, there should always be an, a mindset of, okay, Lord, is this somebody that you would have me marry one day? Does this person have the, the characteristics and the qualities and the walk with Christ that I believe should be in someone that I would marry one day? And I know what you're thinking. If you're a young, I did youth ministry for a long time. I would say this to our teens. 
And we're talking like, you know, 16, 17 year old kids. And they're like, oh, geez, I'm just dating. Like, what's the big deal? I can also tell you stories of teenagers that started dating somebody that wasn't a believer, got so emotionally connected that after years of dating, they started realizing their walk with Christ. One had no walk, one did, and it started to drift them apart. And either the person with the walk had to kind of come down to the person that wasn't saved or deal with all the tension and infighting. And they realized, I never should have began this relationship because I built emotional connection that now has to be severed. And so when we say these things, and, and listen, if you're a teenager today and you've had parents or grandparents say these things to you, believe it or not, they know what they're talking about. Amen, mom and dad? I know it's hard to believe teenagers and kids here today. My parents don't know. They know. They know better because they probably did worse. Amen? They're like, well, let me tell you something. Okay, hang on. So what does this sound like to you? This sounds like a family coming together in oneness. A mom and a dad coming together. But what else does the Bible say in this regard? Exodus twenty twelve. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Go back. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. So again, Old Testament, New Testament affirmation, right? Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, this is kind of an interesting command in Exodus 20, and even another affirmation of it in Ephesians 6, because here's what people will say. Well, yeah, I want to honor my mom and dad, but they're not very honorable. They don't deserve my honor and my respect. I understand that, and it doesn't mean you need to be close with them because some of you have parents that are bad influences to you, and maybe there needs to be some distance there, but honoring them means praying for them. As an adult with parents that are not healthy to be around, praying for them, sharing the gospel with them. If you're here and you're a teenager or, or young adults, and you're in that situation, un- unfortunately and fortunately, I know it's difficult, but your parents are your parents, and if they ask you to do something, you need to obey that command that leadership, if they ask you to do something contrary to God's word, you are free from obeying that command. Like if you have a parent that says, don't read the Bible, you can say, I can't obey that. But knowing our families in our church, I think there's a lot of children that just struggle with this. A lot of kids, a lot of teenagers, because it's human nature. But the verse doesn't say honor them if they're honorable. It says honor them. And so mom and dad, we need to strive to be ones that can be respected Amen. I love what Vodi Bakram says. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. We need to strive for that. And, and teenagers or young people are today, you need to honor your father and mother. You need to listen to them and obey their, their wisdom and, and follow under their authority. Because God has placed them as authority over you for a reason. And, and nowhere in the Bible does it say, and I think this is the next verse, the one I'm thinking of. No, we're not going to come back to that. Okay. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that kids, teenagers, and I'm not harping on you guys. I'm going to be just, I'm I'm trying to be fair here to everyone. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say to obey your parents if you agree with them. It doesn't say that. It says, no, just to obey your parents in the Lord. And so as a follower of Christ, you're following that authority, honoring them and praying for them and respecting them and caring for them. And this doesn't stop when you become an adult. You continue to honor your parents and care for them and respect them and do all you can to serve them. And so again, whether it's a child here today, a teenager, 
or an adult that has parents that you're struggling with, the Bible lays it forth. If we want to live together in unity in the home, we need to honor our parents and be parents who are honorable. Okay? What else does the scripture tell us? Ephesians 4, 2-3, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, how do we hear this passage usually applied? Well, it's written in context to the local church, right? We should live in this way in the local church. But I believe if it's an encouragement for the local church, I definitely believe we can apply it to the family. And I think this is a great encouragement to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to endure with one another. And I love it says, with all lowliness and meekness. That means to humble ourselves in the home. There's many times I've had to go to my boys and say, I'm sorry because I was wrong in how I responded or what I said or how I did this. We need to humble ourselves in the home so that in the home there's this meekness and loneliness so that we're loving and forbearing and forgiving one another. I'm not going to harp on this too long. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there are families that potentially mom and dad, you've been holding on to something for way too long. And we know it's true because every time something happens, you bring it up in an argument. Man, we need to forgive. We need to move past that. Now, I'm not talking about if, if, if real hurts, real things need to be addressed. Deal with them. Address them. Talk about them. Have that conversation. But come at it with grace and humility and loneliness. Thinking of how you've received grace. Maybe I need to give grace to this other person. Mom and dad to the kids. Kids to the parents. Mom and dad to one another. Whatever it is, that's how we can live together. Again, not just in the church. And we think about this verse and go, that's how I should treat other people. But some of you treat other people better than you treat your spouse. And that's causing conflict. So again, some things to remember. All right. So as we look at these passages, we find a blueprint. Some things of how we can live in unity and peace, not just in the church or with other believers in the community, but first at home. So as parents and children, we must ask the question. After all of that, we must ask a simple question. Will we submit to the authority of the word or make excuses and be our own authority? This is what we have to ask. Will we submit to the authority of the word or make excuses and be our own authority? I know the Bible says I should forgive, but, and then we come out with some reasoning, some justification of why we don't want to forgive. And what we're doing is we're saying this book is no longer the authority. I'm not under the authority of God. I'm putting the, the word of God under me. I'm the authority over the word. No, if the word says to forgive, then it's not only possible, it's achievable in Christ. And I know people have been hurt. I know people go through things. I can't even begin to understand some of the hurts that are represented in this room or those watching online. But I'm not asking you to forgive in your own power. I'm not asking you to do any of this in your own strength. And in fact, we already established we do this only through the person and work of Christ. Only Christ can give us the ability to forgive someone else. Only Christ can help us to see our spouse and all of their stuff, all of their baggage and say, I'm not saying we don't need to deal with some things, obviously, because we all have stuff to deal with, but I can see you and I can honor you and I can respect you and we can be one. So what are some principles that we can draw from these three priorities to living together as understanding? Maybe slightly difficult to seek him and seek his wisdom for us. So the first one is we need to see them as Christ would see them. 
So mom and dad, one with another, mom and dad to the kids, kids to the parents, whatever the dynamic is, in the home, we need to see them as Christ would see them. Now, again, this is such a simple statement, such a simple point, but it is a very difficult goal to set because sometimes we don't want to see each other as Christ sees them. We want to see them in their sin and in their failure and in their doings so that we can somehow justify why we feel the way we do towards them and treat them the way we do. But when we see them the way Christ would see them, everything changes. Note again, we set this goal for ourselves, not others. What do I mean by that? You cannot control your spouse or your children to do this. Only they can choose to submit to the Lord and allow the Lord to work this in them. What you can do for yourself is say, I'm going to set this goal for myself and strive to achieve that by God's grace and by his working in me. Again, you can do, and I understand what I mean by right, not perfect, but strive to do everything the best you can by God's grace. And you may have a child that comes of age and starts to drift from the Lord. We said it before. That is not on you, mom and dad. All we're called to do is to invest in our children, to nurture our children in the, in the things of the Lord, to give them wisdom, to direct them to Christ. But like everyone else, they have an individual choice to make. And if you're here and you have a child that's an adult now, that's wayward, that's drifted from the Lord, and someone tries, has tried to beat you up with God's word, just know God is, is moving in that situation. God is giving you grace and patience. God understands, God knows. And you don't need to beat yourself up any longer for someone else's choices. All we can do is set the goal for ourselves and strive to honor him. You see, everything changes when I see my spouse in the eyes of Christ. Everything changes when I see my children with the eyes of Christ. Now, to do this practically, we must discover one key principle. In order to see my wife as Christ sees her or my boys as Christ sees them, I must first understand what? How does Christ see me? How does Christ see them? You see, we must discover how Christ sees us. In him, we are called holy and blameless. This means that Christ sees you as holy and set apart. Now, this does not mean that Christ, through his word, does not deal with our sin. Of course he does. He's a good, loving, heavenly father. He would never let his children go wayward into sin and not deal with that. And so, yes, he sees us as holy and blameless. In him, we are forgiven and free. But in this life, in this flesh, we are still tempted to sin. And when we do give in to sin, he will, through his word and through the spirit, draw us unto correction. And praise God that he does. I'm thankful that God, when I start to get my mind on the wrong thing or, or make a sinful decision, that he is there to draw me back, to remind me that will only lead to destruction. Come, let me show you what I have for you. And we can repent and by grace come back and find his forgiveness. But what's amazing is nowhere in that process does my identity change in Christ. In Christ, I am his and he is mine. That never changes because I do or don't perform in a certain way. 
You see, our identity does not change even when he's dealing with us and correcting us. It is for our good. Why was the scripture given to us? For reproof, for correction, for instruction. It's given to us that would guide us into a deeper walk with Christ, that we would be refined and live in a way that would honor him. So he sees me as holy and set apart in Christ, not in the sense ignoring my sin, but dealing with those things in the right way with the right motivation. You see, I truly believe when I stop seeing my sons and stop seeing my wife with the eyes of Christ and start focusing in on their flaws or how they did not fulfill this expectation or that expectation, it will always lead to disunity and conflict. The minute I stop seeing others in my family in the eyes of Christ, it will always lead to conflict. It will always lead to disunity. And again, I'm not saying that we should not encourage our spouse and children with biblical expectations, pushing them to Christ. But if they fall short, as we all do, their identity has not changed. I extend grace and forgiveness and seek to encourage them in Christ. Mom and dad, stop holding perfection as an expectation over your kids. Kids, stop trying to live to please your parents in every single thing because you think that means they'll love you more. You are fully loved and fully satisfied in Christ, period. Teenagers here, mom and dad, fully loved, fully fulfilled, fully satisfied in Christ. You don't need to chase approval of someone else to get that acceptance. You already have it in Jesus Christ. That never changes. So then why do we do this? Why do we want to see each other in this way? Because we want to encourage our families to walk with Christ, to be pushed to Christ, to live for Christ, that they would experience joy, peace, and the fullness of that relationship. So when someone in the family fails and falls short, a child fails an expectation, a spouse needs to have a conversation about something that happened, a failed expectation or something, a failure of some kind, a sin issue, there needs to be open communication, Not to condemn, but to lead to restoration. Again, we don't ignore sin to be like Jesus. Jesus never once ignored sin. He never condoned sin. He always dealt with it. But he dealt with it so that the person would be drawn to repentance, to glorify God, and be filled with that love, peace, and joy that he brings through the Spirit. So again, just a quick question. Don't answer out loud. But are you seeing your family, your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever the dynamic is, are you seeing them as Christ would see them. Secondly, and I just realized we have a PowerPoint. Secondly, this is, it's back there only. So I have a very short term memory. I'm like, Hmm, what are we doing? PowerPoint. Okay. All right. We need to speak to them as Christ would speak to them. We need to speak to them as Christ would speak to them. Now this, I'm just going to be really honest. This is, this is my struggle. This is where I'm, I'm just weak in this area. And I'm praying God will continue to strengthen me in this. How we speak to those in our family is so important. We need a desire to live together as a family. And if that's our desire, then how we speak to each other matters. Again, not just to coexist, but to live in unity. What does the Bible say? Ephesians 4.29. By the way, there's no asterisks at the end of this verse. There's no clause that gets you out of this. Okay? This is for everybody. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. 
We apply this how we speak to others in the community. We apply this how we speak to others in the church. But sometimes I think we forget to use this same principle in our homes. You know what a corrupt communication is? A lot of people will use this to talk about not using profanity. They'll say, well, that's, that's the verse that says you can't use profanity because profanity is a corrupt communication. I do believe that that would fall under that category in some extent, but that's not the point of the verse. Paul defines corrupt communication for us in the verse, does he not? Doesn't he give us a definition? So if the definition of corrupt communication is simply anything that is what? Not good to the use of edifying, not ministering grace to the hearers. Anything we say that does not do that is a corrupt communication according to the Apostle Paul. And I do think that includes to some degree profanity. And by the way, you don't need to use profanity. It's not needed. It's just not. I think you sound way more intelligent when you choose not to use it. But here we understand this is saying what? That that's the goal. I need to edify those around me. Man, who better to build up than those in our own home? To speak things that are loving and kind. Now, I know you're thinking, well, does that mean I can't like make a joke or joke around? I'm not talking about humor, just joking around and kind of having fun. That's fine. Teasing a little bit within reason. But most of us, the corrupt communication we battle with is critical communication. Do you find yourself constantly criticizing those in your home more than encouraging them? Do you find yourself pointing out the errors and the flaws or the good and the things that they did well? And I already admitted at the very beginning of this, this is something that I have prayerfully considered asking the Lord help me with because I struggle here at times in my family. I just do. I love another translation. The NASB translation says it this way. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, I love that. The need of the moment. What's the situation? How can I speak into the situation a word of edification to build up? Say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. So it will give grace to those who hear. So we need to speak to those in our home as Christ would speak to them. Now, just some application questions, just quickly. Don't need to raise your hand. But how would you identify the words you speak to your spouse or your children? Would you identify them as edifying? In general, are your words to others at work in your area of influence, edifying or building others up and gracious? So not just in the home, in any situation, would you identify your words as those things? Yeah, the, I, I tend to want to build people up. I tend to want to say things that don't encourage them. Or are you quick to be critical with your words? To judge and condemn and tear down. Now, reminder, speaking truth from God's word is not critical. It's edifying. If I say sin has a consequence, and that consequence is a destiny called hell, a place called hell, and any apart from Christ will spend eternity in hell, that's not critical. That's actually edifying. Why? Because my goal is that they will respond to that, to the gospel, receive Christ, and be built up in the spirit of God. Speaking truth in love is not critical. We can give words of correction to our children. That is not unwholesome talk. It's actually edifying because we want to build them up into who God wants them to be. We can share words of criticism to our spouse. If there's times that things need to be corrected, if, if they're drifting into unbiblical things, we can speak truth. We don't just kind of be flattering and just say only kind and flowery things. That's not what we're getting at. We're saying, no, we need to speak truth in love. 
Because that ultimately builds up. Paul makes it clear that if my words are not edifying and not giving grace to the hearers, it is not the fault of the one I'm speaking to. Well, I would have never said that if you didn't say this. That's called not taking responsibility. Well, I wouldn't have said that if my wife didn't say she started it. That's not taking responsibility. Taking responsibility says, no, no, I'm going to own what I say. I'm going to own my words. And so how do we speak to one another? And again, it's not just how we speak to our family, but how we speak about our family. So how do you talk about your husband to other people? You use edifying words when you speak about your husband to other friends, ladies, at the store or wherever you find yourself. Do you find yourself speaking positively about your husband on social media? Husbands, do you find yourself speaking positively about your wife when you're around other guys? Or do you fall into the cultural norm of using it to make a joke here, poke some fun, bring out your wife's failures and do it in a joking way because everyone laughs, it's fine. I've shared it before. When I used to work at a job outside of the church, it was kind of like a lumber yard type place. And we would always sit together at lunch, different employees, and I'd be sitting there eating my leftovers because what's better for lunch the next day than leftovers, right? Amen. So I'm eating something and there's a couple guys in the booth next to me and they're complaining about their wives or something. And about how it's one of he's a, my wife can't cook and blah, 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 blah. The man don't look like he's missed a meal. You know what I'm saying? But apparently his wife can't cook. So, so he's going on and on and they're all jumping in on it, you know, and, and he turned around, he looked at me, he goes, right. You know what I'm saying? And I just happened to be eating leftovers again that Sandra made the night before that were amazing. And I looked up and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't help you on that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, my wife's an amazing cook. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they were just like, oh, really? I said, oh, yeah, she's great. And I just kind of used it as a way to try to, like, say some real honest things. I wasn't just trying to flatter because that's not a good thing. And they were like, oh, okay. And they just turned around. That was it. Because I didn't jump in on the bandwagon of just, yeah, let's just tear our spouse down. How do you speak about your children to other people? We need to break some cultural norms that have crept into the church. Your children are not a problem. They're a blessing. Your children are not something to be escaped from, but to enjoy being with. Now, I understand we, there are times where children can be difficult. I'm not saying we don't need a break, but we got to be careful. We talk about our kids sometimes and people would be like, wow, are you even happy you have children? And because we've let sitcoms tell us how we should interact with our families instead of the Bible. We've let TV shows create these cultural stereotypes and we just jump headlong into them and we think it's fine. The Bible said that children are a blessing of the Lord. So we need to speak not only to each other in the right way, but about each other in the right way. We must be wise in how we talk about each other, guarding the testimony of our spouse and our children and building them up even when they're not around. Listen, if your husband has a hard time being on time places... You don't need to point that out to other people. Guys, if your wife has a difficulty in certain areas of the family, things that you wish she could do better, you don't need to point that out to other people. But we do it and everybody laughs and we think it's fine. But we're tearing each other down. And then we wonder why there's no unity in the home. We wonder why there's tension in the home. We wonder why there's conflict in the home. So if we want to live together, again, from the word of God, we see them as Christ sees them. We speak to them as Christ would speak to them. And lastly, 
We serve them as Christ would serve them. Now, this is perhaps most evident in what Christ does for the disciples. At the Last Supper, he takes his robe off, his outer robe, and he wraps himself in a towel, and he takes on the form of a servant, and he gets on and starts washing the disciples' feet. What a picture of service to his followers. And he encourages them. He says, you can serve one another in the same way. Again, this is perhaps uh, just a great example, not the greatest example, that we can demonstrate in our homes as a family serving one another. Serving one another. Following the example of Christ to humble ourselves and to serve one another. Now, I have to say, I was so blessed Um, And it's great to have Trenton and Jenna strunk with us home from their honeymoon and everything, just recently married. And I was so blessed a couple weeks ago to be able to be a part of that uh, wedding and to be able to officiate that wedding and just watch them join as husband and wife. And what an amazing thing it was. Um, Such a beautiful ceremony. Um, And I love that Christ was so invited into that ceremony with worship music and different things. But one of the things that when we sat down a couple months ago and talked about the wedding and everything, they said they wanted to do something for their unity ceremony. And I was, I was honestly blown away when they said what they want to do. Because a lot of times at weddings, you just kind of, it's a shorter ceremony and a lot of fun at the reception, right? And so when they wanted to be so adamant about, no, Christ needs to be involved in this, and they decided that they want to do something unique. Now, that wasn't the only unique thing I saw at that wedding. Again, you see all kinds of things at weddings, including this. Um, so that's Tim and Erica Strunk. This would be Trenton's brother and sister-in-law. Um, I was trying to think of a caption for it, but I really got nothing. I got nothing. They came into the reception switching um, personalities, I guess. I do like how Erica has a weight and a monster. So that's interesting. Um, I do find it interesting that, so she's pretending to be Tim. Okay. Right. That's what she's doing. And he's pretending to be Erica. Not a great job, Tim. Uh, Not a great job. Here's what I'm concerned about though. Is my pointer going to work? Okay. What's, what's going on here? She still has the other shoes on. So is she saying something? Is this a subliminal thing to say what Tim likes to wear for his shoes? I don't, I don't know. I don't understand that, but, but at this wedding and we'll get that off there because yeah. Enough of that. Um, At this wedding, something that was so cool to see, uh, at the time of the unity candle ceremony, usually there'd be two candles representing two individuals and a unity candle in the middle, and they would come in and light the unity candle to show coming together as one. And so as we talked about the wedding and different things they want to do, um, they decided to do a foot washing ceremony at their ceremony. And they did actually, during the ceremony, we had a time where they washed each other's feet. And I did have to say something to Trenton afterwards because he was trying to put his shoes on right after, you know. And I said, have you ever been more nervous to tie your shoe as fast as possible? And he said, no, it was pretty stressful. I was, yeah, I can imagine. All these people are just staring at you tying your shoe. Come on, tie the lace. Okay. So as we think about that, though, what a picture that they wanted to come together and say, hey, as husband and wife, our desire, our goal is to serve one another. And we want to demonstrate that through a foot washing ceremony. I love that. I love at the very beginning of a marriage, the very beginning of this life together, they decided one of the key things that we're going to strive for. And by the way, they're not perfect, but they're striving for this to serve one another. In the family, you exist in your family not to be served, but to serve. 
When we look for ways to bless our spouse and our children, the temperature in our home changes. When we walk in the door and our first thought is, how can I be a blessing to my family when I get home? How can I serve those in my family when I get home? This doesn't mean that we don't have time to relax and take it easy, of course, at times. I'm not saying that. But if you walk into the home and you see something needs to be done or you know there's a potential need, we're not just going through the house not making eye contact. We're looking actively. How can I serve? How can I be a blessing? How can I help in some way? Maybe if you're here and you have a a little one in the home and, and you come home and your wife's obviously had a crazy day. I told my wife all the time, I would never have wanted to switch roles with her. When she was a stay at home mom with the kids and I was coming up to the church, I said, I will go to the church every single day. Why? Because I knew it was so much work. And I say that jokingly, we joke about all the time, but you know how great it was to walk in the house and, and to see that she's had just a crazy day and to maybe take one of the kids and let's go do this and try to help and serve and So it's little things. Thinking of the other person before you think of yourself. If you see a need, just go do it. If you can bless someone in your family, just do it. Just be that servant. Be that blessing. And I promise you, when we as families commit to say, I want to serve one another, you will find your needs being met. You being served. And you won't even have to ask. See, again, if we want the temperature in our home to change, we have to make different choices. It is difficult to practically put ourselves, our desires, and our wants in the back seat. We have our own agenda. We have our own schedules for the day planned when we wake up in the, most, in the morning most days. And what I'm suggesting is not that we abolish our responsibilities or needed work. What I am suggesting is that in and amongst the daily busyness of life, We purposely look and listen for ways to serve those in our home. We all have responsibilities, obligations, things that we're doing every single day. I'm not saying we put all that aside and just say, forget that and do this. No, no. In and amongst our daily lives, we just look for ways and we listen for ways to serve those in our home. When we strive to see each other as Christ sees us, speak to and about each other as Christ would speak to us and serve each other as Christ would serve us. We will learn to live together as a family. There will be joy, peace, laughter, and love in the home. Of course, there will still be difficult days and days where we get distracted by self or sin. But when we realize it, we repent and allow God's word, God and his word to refocus us back to walking with him, which means loving him with all of us and loving others as ourselves, which includes those in your home. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we respond to the leading of the Lord this afternoon? Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we're so thankful for your word, which lays forth a blueprint of how we can live together as a family. And Lord, I know that a lot of what we said today is easier said than done. But Lord, I truly believe that it's possible and achievable by your grace, by the working of your spirit. And so Lord, I pray that we would not come at this as things we have to do, boxes to be checked, but that we would approach these principles, these priorities as opportunities 
to reflect you and your grace to those that we are living with in our homes. And so, Father, I know that there was so much talked about this morning. I know there was so much that we touched on. So I know application is going to be very unique for each individual situation and person. But I just pray that you would work in each one of those lives, that you would help them to respond in a way that is, Lord, encouraging to them, that is suiting for what you are calling them to, Lord, that we would respond in obedience, submitting to your authority. And thank you, Father, that as we do that, you will strengthen us to do these things. You will equip us to do these things. Because, Lord, when we're being honest, when we're walking with Christ in a daily walk and our minds are fixed on you, we don't really have to be pushed to serve. We don't really have to be pushed to say things that are edifying. We don't really have to be pushed to see others as you see them. Those things are just a natural overflow of our walk with you. So, Father, help us. Maybe there's somebody here today that's struggling in one of these three areas. Maybe their words, they're just constantly tempted to say critical, negative things that tear down. Help them to realize that that's not how it has to be. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here that is, has a hard time serving their family. They think they're supposed to be served when they walk in the door. I pray you'd break them of that pride. Humble them. Help them to be meek and lowly to serve those around them as you served your disciples. And Father, maybe there's somebody here that has a hard time seeing their family, seeing their spouse or their children as you would see them. And maybe they're seeing them as a burden and not a blessing. Well, then I pray, Lord, that you would break them of that mindset, break them of that hard-heartedness. And they would realize that you have placed that family around them for a reason, for your glory and their blessing. And so, Lord, I love the verse that says, if we think differently about this, that you will change the way we think. And so, Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to live together as a family for your glory. And thank you for our families, for the blessing that they are, Lord. And again, in all these things, may you apply it uniquely. Maybe somebody here doesn't have a family just as far as their own personal family, a husband or children. Then maybe they would apply these things to those in their own home right now as they're living with parents or, Lord, as they're growing. Maybe as they're surrounded by a community that they would practice these things, Lord, and see these things bring about a blessing in their life that you'd be glorified. Father, be with anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. And may they come to know you before it's everlasting too late by receiving Christ and your gospel, believing on your name and repenting of their sins, trusting in Christ, because that's the way of salvation. Father, again, we thank you for all of this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? However the Lord has, resp- or has initiated in your life, would you respond this morning? Would you come and pray? Mom and dad, you want to come and pray and say, help us to see, to serve, and to speak the way we should? Individually, whatever God is doing, would you come and pray and spend some time with the Lord this morning as we worship him?